Getting Fresh with Fruit Bowl is sponsored in part by our patrons. Thanks to Mark B., our newest patron. Learn more at patreon.com slash fruitbowlpodcast. Welcome to another episode of Getting Fresh with Fruit Bowl. I'm your host and the creator of Fruit Bowl, Dave Quantic. Today, my guest is Adam Baran, a friend of mine and a former Fruit Bowl interviewee subject. Um, his interview was episode three of this season two. Adam has been doing some really cool, original, and sexy online events for the queer community um, since the coronavirus shutdown started. He uh, lives in New York City, but anyone with a computer can access his parties, and, and we'll go into more detail about those in a little bit. And as a bonus, Adam is also a producer on the Netflix documentary Circus of Books, which has just recently come out, and we're going to talk a little bit about that as well, and some behind-the-scenes insight into its creation. If you don't know, um, the movie is about a porn shop in L.A., a kind of a famous porn shop that was there for decades. And it also just happens to be where I used to go to get my lube when I lived in uh, Los Angeles uh, for 17 years. I actually used to live very close to uh, one of the locations. Just for a primer, I'm going to play the audio from the trailer. So here's the trailer. I'm Karen. I'm Barry, and we own Circus of Books. I thought it was just a bookstore with a circus theme. <laughs> circus of Books was the center of the gay universe. Just like porn, P-O-R-N. If anyone asked us what our parents did... These are called cock rings. The official answer was... We own a bookstore. Porn has always had a place in the gay community. To see men naked and unafraid. They're not offended, they're not scandalized. It's their job. This guy here, Hand Jobs Magazine, now he does organic chicken farming. So when I order from him, we catch up on his chickens. This is the face of Santa Monica Boulevard. In the 80s, if you could sell adult material, you could make a lot of money. We were probably the biggest distributor of hardcore gay films in the United States. But I never felt free to let anybody know what we did. Mom was caught between this stuffy conservative synagogue and the business. It was like a knife over our heads all the time. We just were completely kept in the dark. Is he okay? More than 800 cases nationwide, and yet still, surprisingly few people are familiar with the acquired immune deficiency syndrome. We lost so many of our employees. We would call the parents and say, hey, your son is sick. Parents would just say, I never want to see the guy again. But he's your son. They didn't set out to support the gay community, but they were not going to let other forces tell them what to do. Circus of Books was my first glimpse into the fact that I wasn't alone as a gay person. 
To be a homo was unspeakable. This bookstore, it kept me out of harm's way. No one has ever given us anything we haven't had to fight for. I think what we did was small human kindnesses in a very small way. You guys made all of those? Yeah, I was sent you to college. Hello, Adam. Hey, Dave. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for talking with us today. Very happy to be here talking to you. Yeah, you're doing some really exciting, fun things that I think our listeners will really get a lot out of in terms of your experience and dealing with the current coronavirus shutdown situation. But first, I just want you to remind listeners how we know you already. Um, Well, you know me as a slut. Uh, we did a great, uh, episode. I really love talking to you for our episode of Fruit Bowl. I talked all about my history, my family history, my sexual history. Um, and, uh, I talked a lot about, um, uh, my own sort of relationship, uh, uh, concerns and, and my feelings of all the, you know, enjoyment I have from, uh, being a free love kind of, uh, person. <laughs> I don't know That's right. How do you call it? Uh, I throw <laughs> sex parties and I, um, you know, I throw the NYC Inferno party, um, which has been shut down since coronavirus, uh, took, you know, hit. And, um, I don't know. I think that's what you know me from, right? I guess. Yeah. So just so listeners can go look back if they like, uh, your interview was featured in episode three of the second season in case people want to go back and learn more about your history and also your NYC Inferno parties. Before we talk about your parties and how you've kind of evolved them into the Zoom online conference arena, I just want to ask you first about um, Circus of Books because I know that you are a producer on the movie, and a lot of our listeners have been checking it out on Netflix. This is a documentary. Sure. Um, So um, thanks so much, David, um, for mentioning that. Um, That's been one of the best moments of this whole COVID crisis, is that, you know, Netflix put the the film Circus of Books out, which I produced, um, and which Rachel Mason directed um, uh, in the middle of... uh, uh, April and the it really gave people it's given people a lot of pleasure over the um, the past few months um, that it's been on there I mean it feels like months but I know it's only been one month um, but a circus of books is a documentary that uh, I helped produce worked on for about five years and it's a film about um, the legendary Los Angeles gay porn shop circus of books and it uh, really focuses on the filmmaker Rachel Mason's family uh, Karen and Barry Mason, her parents, who ran Circus of Books for the past like 30, 40 years. And it's kind of a film that delves into a lot of uh, different things. At first, it shows the history of gay porn stores in L.A. and the history of censorship in this country and how it's evolved over the years um, in terms of governmental persecution. Then it shows the history of this family and how their lives kind of intersected in that regard. Um, It delves into the AIDS crisis. It delves into the death of porn. And it also delves into the idea that physical spaces are um, incredibly important to gay people. Um, I think that's one of the reasons it resonated so much with people was this idea from the film that having a store that you could go to that was, you know, was a store that you could meet other gay people at or see other images of gay people in 
um, was is crucial to our development as a, a populace, um, I suppose you could say. The film is really about this family, the Masons, and how their story involving running this empire impacted both their lives and their family and helped them to learn and grow about you know, gay rights issues and, and trans rights and human rights issues all throughout the, the past four decades. But it has an intensely personal angle, too, because not only was the family's business oriented around the gay porn industry, but there were queer members of their family. That's correct. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that was the most moving part of the whole movie for me. Sure. And I think for a lot of people, that's the, the core for, for a lot of people, for sure. Um, the Mason's son, Josh, uh, who was kind of, you know, wanted to be the model son for all his life, um, realized that he was gay. And I, I always say that, you know, when I was a kid, if I my parents had been a, a running a gay porn store, it would have been like absolutely the perfect thing for me. I would have been like happy as a clam. But then to sort of look at Josh's story, what's so fascinating is that for him, it was quite the opposite. You know, I think in many ways, you know, having your parents be so closely associated with a gay business is something dangerous for any teenager who's trying to not be gay or trying to not see gay images so that he doesn't risk knowing that he's gay or, you know, doesn't risk anybody in the community finding out that his parents run this gay business. Oh, you must be gay. And he deals with his own issues sort of coming out to them. And when he comes out to Karen, who runs this, you know, explicit gay business and one would think would be completely okay with gay people or having a gay son, her reaction is quite the opposite. She she sees it as almost like God's punishment for running this sinful business. And it shows, you know, her evolution over the, the coming uh, period, you know, how she, she learned to reformulate her own ideas and come to accept her son and love him and, you know, become an advocate for other gay kids and, and teach other gay parents how to, to accept their kids in, in a better way. Yeah, the part where she's making her introductory statement at the PFLAG meeting was so moving Mm -hmm. because you realized how far she had come. Absolutely. You know, and maybe she would never have made that journey had her son not come out to her, even though she had this queer business, you know. Absolutely. And I just love seeing evolution within their attitudes towards queer people and, and their own children. I mean... Yeah. And I would just say also that Rachel is, you know, queer, identifies as queer as well and has relationships with women and and, and other folks in the queer community. Um, So that's not to erase her her role as a queer um, person, which isn't really delved so much into in the film, mainly because of timing. And well, I think that was a wise move. And this is my opinion coming as a documentary filmmaker is that I feel like a lot of the time filmmakers do insert themselves directly into their documentaries you know and i've struggled with this issue with my own with the fruit bowl project sure. you know and and i think there's a certain amount of disclosure you need to do in order to sort of convey why the subject matter is so meaningful to you mm-hmm. but i think she was wise to to focus on her brother because it seems as though he's had the biggest journey with his family Absolutely. She always thought that what her parents did was so cool. 
You know, she was the one help, connecting them with all of us New York gay porn scholars and enthusiasts who wanted people to interview about the history because they know all these people. They knew Matt Sterling. They knew Bob Miser. They knew um, people who were, you know, true legends of porn. I mean, you know, she says in the film and early on, you know, oh, the guy from Handjobs magazine, he now runs a chicken farm and we talk about <laughs> his chicken farm. But I'm sure that plenty of people who love Handjobs magazine, which is, you know, kind of incest role play you know <laughs> stories and pictures and things um you know would are were probably their jaws dropped to know just something more about that you know yeah um so so they do know all these things and she thought and Rachel always thought that was the coolest thing you know right i think also the reason why is it josh is the brother mm-hmm. i think why his story is so meaningful too is because Rachel unearthed this video footage from their high school years that is just the most intensely I can't even describe how much that that footage resonates for me because you can just see Josh's nervousness and his anxiety around being observed and and it, I think it shows him during his um, bat mitzvah yeah. preparation bar mitzvah Boy, oh, bar mitzvah boys have bar mitzvahs right right sorry um, I'm such a wasp um, <laughs> but uh, just the the subtext that that was drawn out of those clips is so intensely personal yeah i didn't see that kind of footage for her for rachel you know so maybe maybe it was wise to focus on josh just because it was sort of it was all playing out right in front of our eyes with that video footage yeah i i mean i think that's a smart observation well i i really got a kick out of the film too because i used to live five blocks from circus of books Mm -hmm. in 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 LA for eight years when I lived on Hayworth. And so, you know, that was where I got my lube and, and I be in the days before the internet really took off. That's where I bought all my porn and my, my books of gay fiction that I used to really like. And yeah, it was a very meaningful place. I mean, there were two locations and I think both of them had equal importance in their communities. Um, one was in WeHo and the other was in Silver Lake. So lots very different kinds of, queer communities, but two very important locations for gay people in LA. And yeah, you know, I just got such a sense of history and how meaningful those kinds of spaces are to queer people. And also a little sad. I really, I think I texted you this when I saw it is the ending of the film is just kind of heartbreaking, but also very beautifully done. Um, And if people do want to check it out, I really encourage you to to watch the whole movie for obvious reasons. But just I feel like it it gains steam because you start to realize, yeah, all the different themes that you pull out of a documentary about a porn shop. You know, it's really much, much more about uh, the queer community than it is just about a, a family business. So I really encourage listeners to check it out. Thank you. Yeah, I do, too. I I, I agree with everything you say. <laughs> You're very smart. <laughs> well, um yeah, thanks for helping it uh, along the process. I know that's a really hard one, too, getting a, a documentary feature produced. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's no easy feat. So now I just want to uh, move on to talk a little bit more about your Zoom rooms. I'm just curious about how you have pivoted now that there's the current situation. Sure. Um, well, I just want to say, uh, you know, right up the top, it was interesting that the, the next episode or maybe the episode after mine and the Fruit Bowl series was um, Nail and 
who was a performer at our uh, in the last full NYC Inferno party that we did, which was in February. And that party was our NYC Inferno stuffed animals party, which is kind of devoted to like bears and feeders and gainers and chubs and chasers and everything. We wanted to do that. And also puppies and, and you know, it was, it was really one of our wildest parties. So, um, you know, that was our last party. And I remember at that party um, that there were a couple people who didn't come and not, I don't mean didn't come at the party. I mean, didn't come to the party. Um, <laughs> but they were, uh, you know, they, they, they were a couple of people, they emailed me and they said, you know, oh, I should probably not come. I've been in the South uh, of, you know, South Thailand or something like that. And, I, and another person said, oh, I'm, you know, an older guy who was planning on coming kind of as a grandpa and he emailed me and said you know I'm just too I'm too nervous about the coronavirus I'm not I'm staying in and at that point we were I was just kind of like you know oh well I guess we're gonna just have to adjust to this you know stuff with parties I guess if it only affects you know older people and whatnot then we're just gonna kind of expect that less people will be at our parties going forward and then um, a really uh, amazing group uh, formed a kind of a offshoot of, of things like tag and the working groups that act up um, put together these were you know people who were involved in science and biology and epidemiology and studied these things really experts and they reached out to all the sex party promoters in New York and encouraged everybody to shut down their parties that were coming up so we didn't do our party and the uh, in the couple days that followed, I started to do Instagram live stories and I would have some of these biologists come on and talk about what we knew. And, and then somebody showed their dick on Instagram live. So they shut us down for the remainder of the month. And then I quickly just said, okay, let's move over to Zoom. And I started posting Zoom links and I started saying, we're just gonna have get togethers on Zoom. And at first they were just community get togethers. And we were hearing from people who were saying, I'm worried because I, I think I have it, or, you know, or I did have it. And, and so we were hearing all these real stories. And then there was one night when it was just kind of like, everyone, there wasn't like anything left to talk about. And it was like, oh, well, should we jerk off? Should we all just <laughs> should we all just like start jerking off together? And everyone seemed to like that idea. And so I I wish every meeting could end with that question being asked. <laughs> totally. And um, you know, I I of course in my role at the parties, I'm usually the, the at the in-person parties, I'm usually the instigator who's sort of like when everyone's standing around kind of waiting for, you know, someone to make the first move, I'm like, "Well, okay, I guess it'll be me." Uh, <laughs> you know. It's a very important role. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Someone has to get the party started. And so I just was like, all right, I'm getting my dick out and we're going to do it. And I don't know who's out there. I don't know who's watching, you know, but I was like, all right, we're going to do this. And I had a really hot time and we did it the next night. And eventually after a couple nights, it just became like NYC Inferno bait room, you know, and nice. um they were really just, you know, community kind of get togethers. People would get on there. We would, you know, we would jerk off. I would check in with people. And it was very encouraging. It was it was a lot like our normal Inferno parties. And I would start to get messages from everybody in the community of like, thank you so much for doing that. That really helped. It made me feel sexy. I needed that. I needed that community connection. You know, it's really hard to know how these things are going to impact people. But you know, just a simple thing of like getting together with a bunch of sexy folks from, you know, the community who have the same kind of queer, positive mindset, you know, um, was really important and impactful for people. Then 
there was a week where I completely bottomed out, which was two weeks ago. And I don't, I don't mean bottomed out in the good sense. <laughs> I mean, uh, I like just, I just hit a depression wall and a, yeah. I had an anger wall about the way that our governor, Andrew Cuomo, who is lauded as a hero and, and hottie to most uh, mainstream gays, actually um, caused, uh, could have prevented um, over half the deaths that um, were caused by COVID. Um, and, you know, it's just consolidating power in New York and doing all these awful things politically to um, to crush the progressive opposition who are trying to get him to give more money to poor people and to cancel rent and to cancel mortgages for small businesses and all these things. It was just infuriating. And Trump, of course, and, and you know, people not wearing masks and, and conspiracy theories. It, was, it just made me nuts, you know, and I needed to just take a whole week off and just be in a depression hall. And then at the end of that, I was like, okay, I'm back. So after a while, what I realized is that, you know, we could use the Zoom rooms to raise money for charity. So now what we're doing is we're doing free Zoom rooms uh, during the week and we're playing things like Truth or Dare. Um, And then on the weekends, we're doing um, different theme nights. Uh, I'm put out as GoFundMe link and I say to people, you know, donate whatever you wish to the GoFundMe link and um, send us the confirmation and we'll send you this, the private password that only you have access to to the Zoom room. Um, I just finished one last night that was our couples show off room. The night before that was our big boys bait club for Bears, Chubs, Cubs and Chasers. And um, over the course of the weekend, we raised... $1,500 for El Jardín de las Mariposas, which is a the only LGBTQ shelter in Tijuana that takes trans migrants. And the week before that, we did um, a benefit for a member of our community, a trans guy who is in real dire straits. You know, just kind of mobilizing people to give small amounts um, and putting my body and the bodies of other people who are uh, chipping in on display has has um, helped us raise a lot of money for people. That's amazing. Where was the um, clinic again in in Mexico? Uh, it's in Tijuana. It's called El Jardín de, la, de las Mariposas. That's great. I love that, I love that you're including some support for the community while you also support the community with an outlet to like get off. <laughs> totally. It's totally that. Where do you think most of your participants are coming from? Are they from New York area or are they from all over? I'd say the majority are from New York, but um, we definitely have people from, you know, who are in South America. We have people who are in Dallas, but I even know that there are people like in France who who wake up, you know, get the Zoom room link at, you know, 8 a.m. And, and log on. And it's exciting because all those people are saying like, well, when this is all over, I can't wait to come to an Inferno party, you know? That's amazing. Um, I'm just going to take a step backwards yeah. for a sec and just ask you, besides these parties, like, how are you doing there right mm. now? I know that you just mentioned that you went through a little bit of depression. And what are you doing to kind of deal with the stress? Um, every day is different. Mm-hmm. I would say there's a couple things that I'm doing that are are helping is that you know I write a to-do list at, on every Sunday if I can get one or two things done a day that's helpful to me there are weeks when I'm not okay like I said there was this horrible depression week and there are days when I'm not okay 
It sucks. It sucks being in the epicenter. It sucks being in the epicenter when you know that so much more could be done. One th- one other thing that I'm doing is I'm I'm working on making new short films, making new um, work. You know, I've started making um, short films about forgotten cruising spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starting with one about cruising spaces that existed at the World Trade Center before 9-11. Oh, wow. And um, the next one I'm working on is about cruising spaces at the Metropolitan Opera. And I'm just like, okay, I'm at home. I'm probably going to be home all summer, kind of cooped up. And how can I make short films? How can I let the challenge of this lockdown, you know, propel me to make more work? And what about your sex life? It's weird. I don't miss it. I think a lot about when I was in eighth grade and I had had a terrible time at the end of eighth grade because I was really heavily bullied. That was the summer where I really just accepted to myself that I was gay one day and the freedom that I had after that to just like masturbate and like all summer was great. So I've always been kind of super into porn and masturbation and, and home stuff and I'm fine camming with people. I'm fine doing the Zoom rooms. I don't miss it. And I have a lot of people who are messaging me and saying, oh, couldn't we do a socially distanced this or that? And I'm not into it. I'm not looking for it. I, I, you know, it's not worth it. And and have you found even within the time frame of the shutdown that your masturbation methods have, have shifted or evolved or changed at all? Well, it's interesting because I feel like right before this whole COVID thing happened, I was sort of starting to get into that whole kind of cuckoo bait bait world scene, um, which is a whole thing. You know, I it's weird that somebody who loves masturbation as much as I do never got into that whole sort of way of doing it. What, what do you mean when you say baiting? Because I think maybe listeners might not know how that differs from masturbation. So there's this whole kind of community and culture of people called like who call themselves baiters, which right. is like short for masturbators, which is it involves long masturbation sessions. Where you're purposely kind of keeping yourself from coming. Exactly. And I think what that does is it kind of like sort of puts you in a bit of a trance mode. You know, mm-hmm. you you really kind of zone out and get high on all that endorphins and that sort of extreme kind of way you're pushing your body to keep jerking off. And there's this whole sort of verbal component that goes with it where you sort of have to say like, yeah, penis worship, penis worship. It's like a rap almost that you build up. In a way to sort of encourage the person on the other end. Right, exactly. In a way to sort of encourage the person on the other end to sort of focus on the body parts and the, the pleasure. And and we had a, uh, a Zoom room sort of set it up more like a bait party. There was a guy there who was, you know, bait for life and he was set up and he had his poppers and he had his, you know, lube and he has his, and you use Albaline, which is like a makeup remover, which is a really great lube for baiters. Um, and I've taken to it and I really like it. What's it called? It's called Albaline. It's not a lubricant. It's a makeup remover and <gasps> people in the bait community use it as lube. Whoa. That's some, that's some real inside insight. Yeah. And um, so this guy, as I'm back to this Zoom room, um, this baiter Zoom room, and and I was like, well, you look like a experienced baiter. Wanna you know wanna kind of lead us in the in the mm-hmm. the group chat, you know? <laughs> and he was like, you know, he was like, yeah, focus on the penis, you know, focus on the energy, you know, your penis is the thing that makes you masculine and makes you a man, and and 
as he was saying this stuff, I was like, oh, no, that's this was the wrong move because, you know, I the, my group is inclusive and it's it's yeah. trans guy focused. And so, you know, I had to take a pause. I kind of but I said, OK, I just want to jump in and let everybody know that you do not need a penis to be a man and that, uh, you know, the size of your penis does not matter. And, you know, I had to kind of make these sort of correctives and um um, it sort of pointed out to me in a way that a lot of these um, online things like popper trainer videos or bait videos, these things are um, could do a little more to be inclusive for um, trans folks and non-binary folks. And I was actually thinking like maybe one of my goals for this COVID lockdown would be to like make a, a popper bait video or a, you know, a bait trainer video that actually was like queer centric and didn't focus so much on the love your penis worship your penis your penis is god da, 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 you know so that's been an interesting evolution <laughs> and uh so those are some of the things i'm thinking about yeah no i think it's amazing how you've been able to pivot and i went to two of your zoom rooms this week they were really fun and i really enjoyed the truth or dare room truth or dare has been my favorite room that we've done um to be honest i mean obviously for me it's because i come from a documentary back well we both do we both are documentarians so yeah i fucking love hearing people's stories well you do a good job of including people who may not have already had a chance to speak up and yeah kind of playing the mc like I think I asked somebody what the most unusual place they've ever had sex. And I got a really fun answer from the guy who I asked, who was also very sexy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just thought that was a real trip. The truth or dare rooms are especially fun because there's no rules for how it can happen. They don't all necessarily need to end in everyone masturbating, although usually that happens at the end is that like with 10 minutes to go, I say, all right, seems like we've everyone's had a turn twice or, you know, and so let's let's all just kind of let's, you know, get off, you know, now. I will confess that I was very hesitant to say dare because I was worried somebody would ask me to stick something up my butt. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is still consent. I do say that at the beginning. I say, you okay. know, if you really don't want to do, you know, something, it's it is okay, you know. <laughs> right. But people were definitely game. I put things up my butt now and then. Um, <laughs> I, I, I usually need a little bit more time, and I didn't want to, like, waste everybody's time. <laughs> it's like, totally. Okay, David, work it in. Yeah. It's been 15 minutes now. <laughs> but then I went to the bear uh, Chubb and the Cub party on Friday night. And that one for me was a little more tricky because I think I came in too late. Um, and people were already in full on uh, jerking mode. And I think it would have been best served maybe as a pro tip for people who are interested in participating. I think it's better that you get in sooner rather than later. Um, I know that gay people often want to arrive to things a little bit late, make the fun entry, but doesn't really work that way with your Zoom rooms because I feel like you all sort of need to evolve at a similar pace. I don't know. What do you think? I agree with that completely. I mean, yeah. um, I was going to say the other night, like when you showed up, there had been like four guys who were in a quarantine bubble and two people who were, you know, a couple. And yeah. they basically were putting on a show for the first, you know, 30, 40 minutes of that room. I did get to see one couple fucking. That was really hot. Yeah. They were super cute. 
Um, there was a lot of diversity in the room. And you know how you were mentioning how that one guy had volunteered to sort of be the MC and there was one participant on Friday night who I thought was kind of serving that role, but he did a good job and, and he was like very uh, verbal yeah. and encouraging of people. And I found that once he left the room that the air sort of left the room in a way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you did a good job of sort of replacing him, but I realized how much I appreciated his coaching in a way and his encouragement and you know, someday I really hope to come to your parties because I think that's the most important thing that you do is you, you do encourage uh, acceptance and participation. And especially for those people in those communities who are, are normally excluded from those spaces. And I mean, I don't ever feel excluded, but sometimes I am a bit of a wallflower when it comes to group sex scenes. Mm-hmm. That's kind of why I liked The Truth or Dare Night better because I didn't feel like an obligation um, to perform. And I kind of am a, more a voyeur than I am an exhibitionist. So totally. I feel like there's room for both kinds of people. For sure. I was allowing people to come to the Zoom rooms and not have their cameras on for a long time. Oh, yeah. But then it just kind of fizzled out in this way where it felt like there were more people who were watching and who were had their cameras off. And of course, you don't really know who those people are and what they're doing. And they're probably all fine. And they're probably just private people who don't want to be seen, which is completely understandable. But I had to kind of institute a cameras on policy. And then I had a friend last night who was like, your cameras on policy is not very kink friendly to my voyeurism kink. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I understand people not wanting to be seen, but I feel like that's what we get anytime we look at porn online. We're serving as a voyeur. So I feel like there's other opportunities, lots of opportunities to do that, especially online Yeah, to, to sort of hide behind the technology and, and, and look and not, and not have anyone know you're looking. So I, even though I was a little uncomfortable Friday night, I still wanted to be on camera. You know, like I said, had I gone a little bit earlier, I might have been able to kind of get my nerve up to be more adventurous um, along with everyone else. But uh, maybe I'll try it again soon in the future. I'd love for you to be there. I'm <laughs> happy to have anyone who wants to participate and is, can be part of the group. So what has been the your most favorite Zoom Room theme that you've done so far? Uh, I would say that the my favorite Zoom room theme that I've done so far is our business suit bait club. Um, <laughs> basically, what this is is I, you know, since Zoom is this app that everyone uses for business meetings, and since gay men love men in suits, that was always a fetish category on the sites that I looked at, even in the '90s, mm. and I always enjoyed it. So basically, what we do is we I conduct it as though we're having a Zoom room business meeting, and we're all you know we, everybody comes in some form of suit or tie or, you know, uh, shirt. And, 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 you know, as the meeting goes on, I kind of lead everyone in this kind of, okay, now everyone, we have to, you know, let's move on to the, to the masturbation portion of the meeting. And, um, <laughs> you know, we, we get everyone, uh, you know, uh, you know, in a zone kind of, it's just a big fantasy pretend sort of costume dressing thing. I fucking love that. It's really great. Cause it kind of inverts the whole purpose of what zoom is. And now, and everyone's like, Oh, 
you know, Zoom is for meetings. It shouldn't be for sex or whatever. Well, who cares? <laughs> Guess what? Nobody, nobody gay knew about Zoom for any other reason than for like having like, you know, sex and, and, uh, uh, you know, hookups and, 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 you know, public rooms. I mean, I didn't know about Zoom until, you know, a lot of this stuff happened. So, right. you know, get, get, get real, you know? So it's really coming full circle too, because, uh, yeah, I could, I could see how the business fetish could really play into the whole zoom narrative. Totally. And I'll, I'll, I'll confess to having a major, uh, suit fetish. I love men who are dressed up and look sharp and put together. Um, it's, it's interesting you're doing this too, because, um, I think I mentioned in the last, uh, getting fresh episode that I was starting to explore more online porn erotica writing Mm -hmm. and on Reddit, there's like gay sex confessions and there's a whole genre of like descriptions of people like putting butt plugs in before they go on their zoom call for their meeting for their work. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I'm sure that happens every, all the time. Or, or or getting a blowjob from their partner while they're on their Zoom Ooh, conference meeting. Send that to me. I'd love to read all that. I'd yeah, love that. I don't really explore fun. Reddit that way, but I should. I really should. I have only just started exploring it. Um, so it's been pretty fun. But I love how your 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 party is sort of an extension of that. We've stumbled onto a whole new genre of erotica now with the sure. Zoom conference. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> So if people want to find out about it, they should just look for your Instagram handle. It's NYC Inferno Party. We do have a email list for our party, which is bit.ly slash NYC Inferno. We'll take you to a sign up. Uh, and I'll just keep people updated about each week, the different Zoom rooms, the different charities. Sounds like it's a really good idea to reach out via email in case Instagram shuts you down again. Yeah. I'm going to include your link in the show notes for this episode. So that'll be on all of the descriptions of the podcast and also on my website, uh, fruitbowlpodcast.com. So people, if they're interested, they can link to the email and also the Instagram. But I hate that we depend on social media that can shut us down at a moment's notice. So hoping that people get on your email list because then they can know sort of some alternatives for, for getting in involved. Yeah. I mean, and even those email lists are not immune to censorship. If I, you know, I, I, I mentioned sex, if I mention gay, if I mention this or that, I'm sure that thing, you know, causes people's, you know, stuff to, to show up in people's spam folders and they don't even see the emails, you know? Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought of that. Sometimes I wonder like how anybody finds out about anything that you and I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's some level of that where it's like, okay, things are underground. Things are going to go, you know, that's how queers are. And that's like this cruising project I'm working on. You know, it's people, people just somehow people just decided that there were, you know, four separate spaces at the World Trade Center that were good for, you know, having gay sex orgies. And that's, they figured that out before there was the internet, before there was anything, you know? That's true. We'll persevere regardless. We, we will. We'll always be here. Well, I'm I'm super excited about your project, too. I want to hear more about that when it's ready to get uh, launched and get eyes on it, because that sounds really amazing. I would love to hear more about oral history around spaces where, where gays connect, because, of course, you, you know that that's something that I'm fascinated by. For sure. Cool. Well, thank you so much for for coming and chatting and I really hope that you hang in there 
and congrats on the work that you do and and i really think it's very important especially right now when we need more of a sense of community ever than ever before so thank you for doing what you're doing you're very welcome david thank you so much i had a ball talking to you as always so it's pride month and it's going to be weird you know social distancing and pride don't really go well together but we're gonna make the most of it um i've personally have decided to channel all of my extra energy into producing one fruit bowl episode per week this month so we'll see if i pull it off but i won't be going to any parades or fun boat cruises around elliott bay or any pool parties or what have you so maybe i'll actually pull it off in any case there's lots of ways to find community besides here at fruit bowl um, I really encourage you to check out Circus of Books um, on Netflix. It's an awesome film. Besides it just being a great documentary, I think it's also a great example of how important queer spaces are for queer people. And it's easy to forget that, especially when we're so shut off right now from our community. I also just think it's a great profile of a family's emotional evolution when it comes to accepting queer children. And, you know, that's obviously a subject that I'm very passionate about. So I think that the movie does, it does a great job of showing how people can change. Included in the show notes for this episode are the website links to Adam's Inferno NYC mailing list so that you can sign up and receive emails about his sexy Zoom rooms um, in case you're interested in participating in one of them. I highly recommend uh, going to the Truth or Dare room um, as a sort of a primer just to get used to the format. You can find out more about those rooms by visiting their Instagram. And I'll post a link to their Instagram account as well. I'm also going to post links to the charities that Adam supports with his Zoom room parties. And so I'll uh, just list a few of those now. One is Jardin de las Mariposas. And the other one that he's been funding recently is F2L Relief Fund, um, which provides commissary support for incarcerated, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and two-spirit people of color in New York State. Speaking of donation support, I want to also encourage you to look into giving to Utopia Seattle, which is a queer and trans people of color-led grassroots organization here in South King County, where Seattle is located. Um, I'll post a link to that as well in the show notes. Um, I chose recently to give to this organization because one of my former interviewees, Jalen, uh, encouraged me to, to do that in memory of George Floyd. And uh, it's a really great organization. I encourage you to look into it and donate if you can. You can learn more about Fruit Bowl at fruitbowlpodcast.com, where you can find our episode archive as well as links to all of our social media. Fruit Bowl is a production of Cubed Media, LLC. All rights reserved. Stay safe, be strong, wear a mask, and I will catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.